Please turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5. On Sunday evenings, we have been working our way through the book of Proverbs. Today we will continue our study. We've looked at many good topics. We've looked at biblical wisdom. We've looked at guarding our hearts, money, laziness and work, friendship, drunkenness versus being filled with the spirit, contentment, a few other things. But before we finish this series in Proverbs, we must cover what the wise father teaches to his sons about marriage and about faithfulness. We live in a hyper-sexualized cultural moment, a moment in which sexual temptation has been weaponized. You no longer have to go to the dark, seedy back alleys to seek out these types of things. This temptation, on the other hand, will seek you out. It's on the TV. It pops up unprompted online. It's in all of the movies and the songs. It's even in the novels and the literature that's in the world right now. But as much as modern culture has done to weaponize this temptation, the temptation itself is quite ancient. Solomon knew full well the dangers that come with wandering eyes and untamed appetites. He also knew full well the consequences of such covert rendezvous. So in our text today, we will listen in on a conversation. A father is speaking to his sons, and this father is teaching, he's training his sons. He's warning them about the dangers that lie ahead of them, but also exhorting them about the sweet blessings that can be theirs if they stay on the path of wisdom. This text is written by a father to his sons, and I will preach it that way, but nothing I say here is exclusively for men. The same temptations may take slightly different form, but the heart-level temptation is the same for women as well. Further, you may not be married yourself, and you could be tempted to think, well, this doesn't apply to me. I can just tune out. But that's not true either. The specific sin addressed in Proverbs 5 is adultery. But the temptations, the consequences, the costs, the dangers are all similarly found in other types of sins. So even though you might not be a son and you might not be actively battling the temptation to adultery and lust, I still encourage you to listen closely and apply these principles, the principles of these temptations and sin to your own life. Let's start by reading Proverbs chapter 5. God's word says to us, my son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding so that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door to her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. 
lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life you groan when your flesh and your body are consumed. And you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all his past. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline. And because of his great folly, he is led astray. Let us pray and ask God's blessing upon this time. Our Holy Father, we ask that you would work, that you would work through the preaching of your word to build us up. Build us up where we are weak. Make us strong, Lord. Help us to be faithful but also humble us where we are proud. Show us truth and righteousness and show us more of Christ this morning, we ask. In his name I pray, amen. We will survey this chapter this morning under four different headings, four points I have for us this morning. And they are short. Heads up, watch out, lean in, and stand firm. Heads up, watch out, lean in, stand firm. We'll start with the first. Heads up. Verses 1 and 2 say to us, My son, be attentive to my wisdom and incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. The father is saying to the son, listen up. Heads up, pay attention, listen closely. The father is passing on wisdom that he's learned in his life. And he's not a mere passive observer because the father, too, has been a young man before. He has experienced these temptations that the son will soon face. The father knows how youthful lusts, combined with a not-yet-developed ability to exercise self-control, mean that young men especially should take heed to the advice that follows. Pay attention, the father says to his sons. As all fathers should rightly warn their sons of the sexual temptation that they will encounter. And fathers in the congregation, are you being faithful to warn your sons about the dangers and the temptations they will encounter? Sin and temptation will seek them out. And we have to know that we cannot protect and shield and guard our children forever. We have to train them. We have to warn them and give them the skills they need to recognize the temptation when it comes and give them the tools they need to be able to flee it. But this training, this warning is not merely for fathers and sons. In fact, inside the household of God, the family of the church, 
We need older saints to be actively training and warning younger saints. We need mothers encouraging their daughters in the faith to marital faithfulness. We need older men mentoring younger men. We need generational encouragement and exhortation to stay fighting the good fight of faithfulness to our, fa- to our spouse and to Christ. And why is this necessary? Why, why is the Father even having this conversation? Well, because we all know we're sinfully inclined towards unfaithfulness. Nobody drifts towards faithfulness. We drift towards unfaithfulness. Sure, you you may never have committed adultery yourself, but you've no doubt looked at another woman with a twinkle of lust in your eye. Or you've replayed those images that you've seen again and again. Or you've used your imagination to think, what would it be like if I was married to him or to her or to anyone else? See, all of that naturally bubbles up from within, and the wise father knows that. That's why he's calling his son to be attentive. Heads up, he says. This is important. Listen. Your life depends upon it, as we'll see below. Heads up. Second, the father not only says, heads up, he says, watch out. He tells his sons to watch out. Watch out for this adulterous woman, or your text may say foreign woman or strange woman. This illicit woman the Father is describing in verses 3 through 14. The Father is using a metaphor. He's using an extended analogy and imagery to illustrate what the seventh commandment prohibits. You shall not commit adultery. But the father goes further than a mere command. He goes into the psychology. He goes into some of the mental games that surround temptation. And so what should we watch out for? Well, in verse 3, he says, watch out for her appeal. Watch out for the appeal that this woman will have. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. Her lips are ever so sweet. They promise satisfaction, joy, happiness, just a little kiss, just a little taste, and her words are smoother than oil. Her logic will seem sound in the midst of temptation. It will make sense to sin in the middle of the temptation because her words are smoother than oil. Like the sirens of mythology who lulled men to sleep only to have them crash upon the rocks to their death. Lady Folly tempts us with her appeal. Sexual sin promises sweetness. Just another little look. A little moment more of of a gaze. One more download. One more clip. One more kiss. But there's always a hook inside of the sweet bait. Which is why in verses 4 through 6, he warns us to watch out for her poison. Watch out for her hidden poison. Verse 4 begins, in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death and her steps follow the path to Sheol or to the grave. She promises satisfaction with her sugary lips, but in the end, those lips bring death. What we thought would satisfy our desires have actually brought about demise. And the same is true regardless of the expression 
right? It could be pornography. It could be unseemly romance novels. It could be hookup apps. All of it promises satisfaction, a sense of belonging, a sense of fulfillment. But it always leaves us feeling empty, used, shameful, and even more dissatisfied. And if we continue down that path, we will end up consumed entirely. Ecclesiastes 7.26 says, I find something more bitter than death. And that's the woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters or chains. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken, is trapped by her. The adulterous woman's path leads us down the path to hell. If you're here today and you are toying with some kind of sexual sin, then you need to know that you are not in control of it. It will end up controlling you. And you are but one step removed from hell itself. Her path leads to the grave and all those who indulge her will be chained to her. Sexual sin is no joke. It will ruin your soul. Unless you think that you're the one that's in control, notice how the text says the woman herself is blinded. Verse 6. <coughs> Excuse me. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. She doesn't know it. Sexual sin has a way of blinding the understanding of the participants. They don't think it's that bad. Oh, I know that they got caught over there, but I'll never get caught. It's not that big a deal. prophet Hosea, chapter 4 of his book, speaks of how God condemns Israel for its unfaithfulness. And he makes explicit that their whoredom, words of Hosea, along with their lust for wine, have blinded their understanding. They can't see reality accurately. Their vision is distorted. Their discernment is askew. They have a veil over their eyes. That's what the adulterous woman has experienced. She thinks she's fine. And you'll think you're fine until you take that last step. Do not listen to the sugary lies of the adulterous woman. Flee from her and her paths. Confess your sins and turn back to Jesus who alone can forgive you of your sins and can help you walk in holiness again. See, he's the only one who can save you from your bondage. No amount of willpower, of mustering up your own strength, no self-derived determination will be able to completely and finally free you from the snare of lust and sexual sin in this life. You need a Savior who has completely and finally broken the power of sin, and that is Jesus Christ. He never gave in to the adulterous woman's advances. He never succumbed to temptation, even though he was personally tempted by Satan himself. Jesus never lusted, not even for a moment after another man or another woman. And he never once had a lingering thought about being unfaithful to his bride. Come to Jesus this very day and you too can be freed from the power of sexual sin. It won't be easy, but you'll begin to see that Christ is the one that can truly and completely fulfill our desires. Unlike the wayward woman and her false empty promises and her hidden poison. Not only do we need to watch out for the woman's 
appeal and for her hidden poison. Verses 7 and 8 teach us that we need to watch out for her path. Watch out for her path. And now, O sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door to her house. Stand clear. Watch out, the father says. Keep away. Danger. Don't go near. We shouldn't merely keep sexual temptation at arm's length. We need to be like Joseph in Potiphar's house and flee from it. Don't keep it like a pet. Kill the sin. Kill the temptation. We should be intentional and diligent. If you see yourself succumbing to a sexual sin, analyze it, figure out where you're weak, and do something about it. If your phone's a temptation, get rid of it. Get a dumb phone. If your computer's in temptation, put it in a public room in the house, or get rid of it entirely, or leave it at work. If you're tempted to fantasize about somebody else, maybe you need to change offices. Get out. Jesus teaches that our diligence in these areas is not only necessary, but may need to be radical. In the Sermon on the Mount, he tells us if our eye is causing us to sin, to gouge it out. Pluck it out. If your hand is causing you to stumble, cut it off. It's better to go to heaven maimed than to go to hell with all of your members. We may not need to start with cutting off our hand, but we need to be do, willing to do whatever is necessary, however painful, to root out the sexual temptation in our lives and flee from it. Keep out. Stay far from her past. And in the next verses, 9 to 14, we see we need to watch out for her costs. What are the costs that come with indulging the forbidden woman. Verse 9 says that your affair with the wayward woman will cost you your honor, lest you give your honor to others, the Father says. Your, your reputation will be ruined. People will scoff at you. You will be the butt of jokes. The language here is similar to having someone walk up to the king and remove his crown. The king has soiled himself. He's ruined his reputation. You've dishonored yourself, defamed yourself. Why would you do that, son? That's what the father is saying. Not only that, adultery costs you your time. Lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Your time. Some translations say your youth, your years, your time. The best years of your life will be thrown away for the sake of some fleeting fornication. Your energy, your productivity, your calendar, your life gets divvied up. Your allegiances are divided, spent in a hundred different directions. Your affections are split and your energy will be the same way. Not only that, but it costs you more than your time. It costs you your money. Verse 10, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. Translations may say, take your fill of your wealth. Not only will adultery cost you child support payments and alimony and splitting your wealth among many others, but hiding a mistress, either real or virtual, costs men much more than they originally thought. One lie leads to another, leads to another, leads to another cover-up and another cover-up. You, you need a secret credit card. You need a hidden bank account. You need other things to cover your tracks. Your expenses pile up and your strength and your wealth dwindle. 
which leads to the next cost in verse 11. At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and your body are consumed. It costs you your health. Adultery costs you your health. The stress of having unconfessed sin, the stress of hiding in the darkness, of always looking over your shoulder, will wear you out faster and earlier than anyone else. And it will damage your mental health too, your sanity. In verse 12, you say, oh, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to my teachers or to my instructors. I'm at the brink of utter ruin. A man ensnared in sexual sin will be filled not only with a tortured conscience, but he'll have a sorrow of regret. He didn't listen. He didn't have to have this. He had the choice, and he was warned. Why didn't I listen? His father warned him. His pastors warned him. His Bible warned him. His common sense warned him. But he didn't listen. And now he's in despair. His time with the adulterous woman has cost him his honor, his time, his money, his health. And he's in despair at the end of his life. He's at the end of his rope. We should listen to this wise father. Why would we risk so much for an empty promise of fulfillment? It makes no sense when you see this full scripture, the full picture. It makes no sense to even toy around with sexual sin. Flee from it this very day. And flee to Jesus, lest you too be filled with regret and pain because of your foolishness. Watch out. Watch out for the wayward woman. The father is exhorting his sons and he's exhorting us. Third, not only does the father say heads up and watch out. He also tells us to lean in. He tells his sons to lean in. Verses 15 through 20 show us what we should do instead of chasing after the adulterer or to put it in another way these verses encourage us to positively fulfill the seventh commandment right seventh commandment says you shall not commit adultery but it implies the opposite positive that we should be faithful to our marriage covenants We should encourage marital faithfulness in ourselves, in our spouses, and in others. The father begins, verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing waters from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Don't go dipping into another man's well, the father says. Drink from your own cistern, which is a big basin to catch rainwater. The context is suggesting he's talking about marital relations within a marriage covenant. The physical union is one of God's good blessings for his creatures. And our contentment and our satisfaction should be found in the spouse that God has provided for us. Enjoy your spouse regularly with thankfulness for this is a good thing. That later passages in scripture teach us is a picture of the gospel itself. Paul says in Ephesians 5 that this too is a picture of how Jesus loves his church. And it's a way to help us guard against the temptations that come from the adulterous woman. Now, side note for those that are not married yet. The application for you is to remain sexually pure in faithfulness to your future spouse that Lord willing, he will provide for you one day. He will see you through this season. 
And know that any sacrifices that you make to remain pure in this season, God will reward. If you're in this situation and you need help and encouragement, then I would say reach out to your brothers and sisters at church. Reach out to older saints, to those in the church that have a faithful marriage that you want to model yours after. Reach out to your pastors. Any of us would love to come alongside you and encourage you as you battle to remain pure. Moving on in the text, the father explains a little bit deeper what the call for a faithful husband is. The husband is called not merely to remain physically faithful to his wife. The call is deeper than that. It's a call down to the level of affections, down to the heart. Look at verse 18. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all time with delight. Be intoxicated with her love. You catch all those imperatives. Rejoice, delight, be intoxicated in your wife's love. This is language speaking of more than mere marital activity. He's speaking to the heart. And the faithful husband is called to delight in the wife that God has given to him. He's called to lean in. He's called to rejoice at the precious jewel that God has given him in marriage. He's called to be intoxicated always. This is an ongoing intoxication that he has with his wife's love. It's similar to what Paul says again in Ephesians 5. Husbands are called to cherish their wives. To see them as exceedingly valuable. As precious. As jewels. The husband is called to be so in love with his wife, that the adulterous woman is not even a possibility. Why would I give up this beautiful gift that God has given to me and forsake her for the adulterous woman? Why would I do that? He can't look at her because his eyes are fixed on his wife and he is in love with her. His heart is guarded against sexual temptation because his heart is fully devoted to another, the one that the Lord has given to him. That's the standard. That's the expectation. That's what the faithful spouse is supposed to be. To have a heart so rejoicing, so delighting, so thankful, so intoxicated by the love of his spouse that we're not even tempted to go after the honey-lipped adulterer. But if we're honest with ourselves, we don't always do that, do we? We don't always rejoice in the wife of our youth. We're not always thankful for the spouse that God has given to us. In fact, we can be tempted to covet, and not merely covet, but covet what in particular? Our neighbor's spouse. Covet our neighbor's wife. Or maybe you're tempted to linger over that movie you know you really shouldn't be watching. Or fantasize about that person that we know whose company we enjoy so much. They're just so fun to be around. We're all guilty of having some measure of unfaithfulness in our heart. Even if we've never touched another woman. In fact, that's what Paul was talking about when we read 1 Corinthians 6. We have to remember that sexual sin is serious. 
Jesus explains in Matthew 7 that if we but look at another woman with lustful intent, we've committed adultery. We've broken the seventh commandment and are thus no better than the adulterous woman herself. And I ask you, when you look in the mirror of God's law, what do you see? Do you see a faithful, holy, and righteous spouse? Or do you see an adulterous one? A harlot? One who is justly condemned by God's law and worthy of everlasting punishment in hell. But Paul makes clear, like we read in 1 Corinthians 6, that the sexually immoral, the adulterers, those who practice homosexuality, he lists them by name, those specific sins, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Sexual sin, un unrepented of, bars you from the kingdom of God. But the good news of the Bible is that Jesus Christ is the faithful spouse. He is the faithful bridegroom. He came with singular devotion to his bride. He came and was born of a woman and took on the fullness of human nature, including all of its desires, all of the appetites, and yet he was without sin. He never once lusted after another woman. He never once was discontent with the unfaithful bride that the father had given to him. He was contented with her. In fact, the Bible says that it was for the joy set before him. He willingly endured the cross. His motivation was from a heart, a heart of joy, rejoicing in the salvation for an unfaithful bride that he could redeem her from that unfaithfulness and wash her. That's the joy that was set before him. He is the faithful spouse that we never were. And if we repent of our sins and believe in him, we can have his purity counted to us, counted to our account. We can be seen as pure by the Father Himself. Our sinful adultery having been nailed to the cross. That's the sweet exchange of Calvary. All of our sin, all of our infidelity, all of our adultery, dead, buried, gone in the grave. And all of His life, His purity, His faithfulness counted to us, credited to our account, robed around us. That's what Paul says. We read it in 1 Corinthians 6. Right after he says that they will not inherit the kingdom of God, do you remember what he says? He says, and such were some of you, but you were washed. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You were sanctified by the Spirit of our God. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the good news of what you can have today. You too can be washed. No matter how dirty your conscience feels, no matter how condemned you are by the law, no matter what your sexual history was, you can be pure. You can be made clean by the good news of our great God. We can be justified, that is, declared righteous by the lawgiver himself. We can be sanctified, which means we can be made holy through God's work, sending his Holy Spirit into you to help you walk, to guide you in holiness yourself. Won't you come to Jesus today and believe? What better good news could there be? What more needs to be done for your salvation? The faithfulness that we need has been earned by Christ himself. Christ has done it all. Come to him this very day and take his gospel of grace as your own. And you too can have purity and satisfaction regardless of your past unfaithfulness. That's the good news of the gospel. <laughs> Lastly, the father says to us, heads up, watch out, lean in. And stand firm. Stand firm. Verse 21. For a man's ways 
are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all of his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of sin. He dies for lack of discipline. <coughs> Excuse me. Getting over a cold. <clears throat> the father begins this section by exhorting faithfulness in his sons to stand firm in the path of wisdom. <clears throat> How do we stand firm? Well, first by remembering that God is always watching. God is always watching. His ways are always, our ways are always before his eyes. Regardless of whoever we can deceive in this life and whatever schemes we might use to cover our tracks, God sees it all. It's not as if he's some kind of peeping Tom who likes to spy on us. He's the God of the universe. He's our creator and our sustainer. It would be contrary to his very nature to not know and see everything. Perhaps you might find this a help for you when you are in times of temptation. If a stray thought comes in, if a fiery dart from Satan lands and the adulterous woman is using her smooth speech to lure you in, then think about God. Would I commit this same sin if Jesus was sitting in the chair next to me? Would I do that? Would I indulge if Jesus was right here watching me? Well, of course not. Then why would I ever indulge just because I can't see him right here? doesn't mean he can't see me. He does see me. And he knows what my temptation is. The father knows this. And his encouragement to his sons here in Proverbs is to remember God sees. See, we can be tempted, just like Adam and Eve, to go hide in the bushes. Put a little fig leaves over it. Think we can cover it up. God will never know. As silly as that seems, that's exactly how we act. God will not be deceived. He ponders our paths and he knows our steps. Further, the father warns his son to stand firm in the path of wisdom because the path of sin ensnares. I mentioned this before, but sexual sin ensnares. The iniquity of the wicked ensnare him and he is held fast in the cords of sin. He dies for lack of discipline and because of his great folly he's led astray. The father concludes with a sober reminder that a man trapped in sexual sin is enslaved to it. He has no other choice. He's chained to it. In his own strength, there's nothing he can do. He's attached to a sinking ship. He dies for lack of discipline, for lack of self-control. If that's you, if you feel chained to your sexual sin, don't continue down that path. Don't lead yourself to hell. Don't rationalize it. Don't say, I'll just do better next time. I, I won't fall into that again. Don't wait another day. Get help. Cry out to Jesus first for liberation from this sin and then come to your brothers and sisters for help. We are called in the household of God to bear one another's burdens and sexual sin can be a burden too great for you to carry alone. It is not weakness. In fact, it is great wisdom for you to seek out help when you really need it. That's what wisdom is. See, each of us have violated the seventh commandment in one way or another. And each of us, likewise, needs Jesus' grace to continue to be faithful to our spouse. spouses. We're all recipients of grace. And we will, likewise, seek to restore you with gentleness if you are bound in this sin. We're not better than each other. We all need each other's help. Don't listen to the lie of Satan that says you are worse than everybody else. Nobody at that church deals with the sin like you do. 
That's a lie from the pit of hell. This is a universal temptation. It has different forms, but every one of us has to battle to be faithful in this area. Don't die for lack of discipline. Remember the words of the faithful father. Heads up, watch out, lean in, and stand firm. Stand firm, confident in the knowledge that Christ is our sure and faithful spouse who loved us enough to die for us and who washes us so that we might be free from the spell of the adulterous woman. Let's pray. Holy Father, we ask that you would make us pure, that you would make us holy even as you are holy. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close this morning by singing, Be Thou My Vision.